Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 29 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, December 7th, 2014. Today, I want to talk a little bit about management and being a leader, as well as being a follower, and what I think that that means. This is a topic that has come up several times in my life. I have a type A personality, and I like to excel, and I like to be a leader. The problem is that a few times in my career, that's landed me in a management position. Yes, I did say uh, that's a problem. My definition of management position means that some portion of my job is to write reviews, handle HR issues, balance departmental budgets, allot raises, answer to someone else about the productivity of my charges, uh, individually in my department as a whole. Good managers who do all of this well are hard to find. Unfortunately, too many management positions are manned by people who were the best at whatever their department was responsible for doing. Often, the individual only took the job because it was the only decent way to get a raise and not because they had a passion to improve things through administration. This is extremely unfortunate because what the company's just done is remove the person who is likely their most productive individual and put them in a position, very likely without the proper training, that Peter principled them. As I alluded to earlier, I'm not speaking from the sidelines, but I'm talking about somebody who's in the game. I wanted to make more money, and my personality tends toward being a leader. So when a position opened up to be a supervisor at a place where I used to work, I leapt at it. I was one of the most, if not the most, productive workers in the building, and one who didn't shy away from doing what was right, so I got the job. That began my problems. My manager was removed from his position shortly afterwards, and I was named as the interim manager, a position that lasted for about three months. My style of management was to get in there and do the work. If someone was falling behind, I didn't coach them up. I bailed them out. If we had a big work day ahead, I came in early and I got things started and prepared or even done for everyone else instead of trying to plan a schedule for others to help. That may sound great or heroic, but the problem was that A, I wasn't doing anyone any favors, and B, Pete don't scale. This worked for one building and 20 employees. But if our workload or our staff increased, I couldn't bail everyone out at once. If someone quit one of the higher responsibility positions below me, no one had been trained up to replace them. I was blowing it, but I had no idea. Fortunately, I did not get the permanent management position. They were prepared to give it to me, but another manager from Dallas, Texas was looking to transfer, and company policy gave him first dibs at the job. They apologized to me and thanked me for my efforts being both manager and supervisor for three months. The truth is is that they did me a huge favor. The man who came in was a manager. He knew how to delegate. He knew how to schedule. He knew how to train. He knew how to discipline. The man was skilled at his craft, and I began to see how I had been failing. I learned a lot about the right way to be a manager. At the same time, it also made me see that I didn't want to be a manager, although I liked being a leader. I love setting an example. I love sharing my knowledge with other people and setting a precedent, but I don't like disciplining them if they fail or to learn or improve. I love performing technical interviews for positions and giving input for hiring decisions, but I hate negotiating salary, benefits, and schedules. I love when things get busy and that means I can be super productive while attending less meetings that my manager has to attend in my stead. I don't like playing politics to get my department what it needs. I like to occasionally rely on the fact that it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. 
I definitely don't like to play the game where you have to make other managers from other departments or divisions feel like they were involved in the decision just so they can feel useful. I'd much rather hear the facts, decide the course, and take my troops into battle. What's unique about a manager is that you can or should only have one per spot and they can only exist in certain conditions. However, a leader can exist anywhere in your organization. You can have a leader in the receptionist chair, the custodial team, the accounting division, or in your auditing department. He, um, I mean this gender neutral from here on out, could be a software architect, a lead developer, a junior developer, business analyst, QA guy. I'm not even creating a dichotomy that says managers can't be leaders too. You could have managers and executives that are leaders. In fact, I hope that you do. What matters is that he has a vision, acts on it, and causes others to follow him to act on that vision. In finding other literature on this topic, I came across these two quotes which best sum up what I've been trying to say. The manager's job is to plan, organize, and coordinate. The leader's job is to inspire and motivate. And also another that says, managers have subordinates, leaders have followers. I hope there's a little food for thought here for the other type A's out there as well is how to maybe you could best use your energies depending on what portions of the above got you excited. Not everyone could be the leader, though, and I'll talk a little bit later about being a good follower. Here's something that my dad once wrote about this topic. My dad was a manager and a leader for his entire career, at a lumberyard, at a glass factory, and in numerous retail establishments. Here's what he said. It is possible for an effective leader to be lacking in management skills But to be an effective manager, you must have excellent leadership skills. For example, consider General George McClellan versus General U.S. Grant. McClellan was an excellent planner but failed to execute those plans when needed most. General Grant, on the other hand, was an accomplished strategist and, more importantly, an effective leader who could effectively execute his battle plans. McClellan was loved and admired by his troops because they saw his reluctance to go into battle as concern for their well-being. He was a victim of good guy syndrome. That is to say, he was well-alike, but an ineffective leader. President Lincoln, frustrated by McClellan's inaction, once said, If you're not going to use the army, I would like to borrow it for a while. This is not meant as a treatise on Civil War history, but as an allegory on management and leadership. An effective manager must be able to carry out responsibilities that he does not care for with the same energy that he uses for his favored tasks. Being a manager is not always a fun job, but in the end, if done effectively, it could be very personally rewarding. The most important thing that a manager does is evaluate and train those in his charge. Consider the fact that one of the biggest roadblocks to promotion is that there is nobody ready to take the candidate's place. Also consider the main reason people quit their jobs is not salary, benefits, or opportunity for advancement, but rather that they feel they did not receive sufficient training to do their jobs effectively. In other words, frustration. Too often, training takes a backseat to time constraints. It's imperative that the manager not jump in and complete a task that his employee is uncertain how to do, but work with that person to see that they understand how to do it. The normal reaction is, I'll just go ahead and do it myself because I can do it better than anybody else. This is a cardinal sin. If deadlines absolutely prohibit the luxury of training while completing the task, then training must be scheduled after the fact. An employee who gets pushed aside because they don't know how to complete a task is devalued in his own mind. One is taught how to handle a new situation gains a feeling of accomplishment and self-worth. We all have things that we do not care to do. Disciplining an employee is often right at the top of that list. Discipline should not be used as a threat, i.e., if you don't shape up, I'm going to write you up. 
Discipline is also a teaching opportunity. All corrective interviews should be handled in a timely manner. Do not take the wait till your father gets home route. Effective disciplinary interviews should take this form. Praise for what the employee is doing right, clear and concise explanation of shortcomings, a plan to correct these shortcomings, expression of confidence the employee will be able to accomplish the goals set forth in the interview. In short, positive, negative, positive. In regards to the Peter Principle, some of the responsibility for this phenomenon needs to be placed squarely on the shoulders of the person being promoted. Turning down an opportunity is not easy, but if one is totally honest with himself, he should be able to recognize his inability to deal with a more demanding position. Knowing one's own limitations is critical. If you find yourself in a position turning down a promotion, you should be asking for sufficient training so you may be ready when the next opportunity arises. Attitudes are contagious. Simple statement, simple truth. The single biggest factor in employee morale is management attitude. A positive attitude will act as a motivator. I'm not talking about a Rebecca of Sunnybook Farms, cheery and saccharine, things are great kind of positive. This will eventually come across as phony and lead to the opposite of the desired effect. A good solid positive outlook will rub off on your people and will also boost productivity. A negative attitude will depress not only morale, but will affect quantity and quality of the work done. Well, maybe I should have brought him on the show. Because, I mean, that's basically what I was trying to say, and that's coming from years of experience. So that's definitely valuable. So we've talked about management and leadership, but what about following? Management seems to be a specific position in an organizational chart that demands a very special set of skills that not all people, even leaders, possess. We want our managers to be leaders, but at the same time, people lead from a myriad of positions, and by definition, you can't be a leader if no one is following you. Many different corporate initiatives and self-help guides encourage everyone to be a leader. However, if that goal is reached and everyone is a leader, who's following? I think there are two different and distinct answers to this conundrum. The first is that some people aren't really cut out to be leaders. I have a friend named Mark who does not like to be in charge. He doesn't like to lead anything. He's by his own admission and definition a worker bee. He likes to quote the problem of having too many cooks in the kitchen and to say that not everyone should be in charge and some people need to be followers. I agree with this wholeheartedly. It could be the followers' giftings and personal desires lead them to serve others and to follow a direction outside of the spotlight. It could also be that this person is a leader in training, who will someday lead others, but for a season, this individual needs to sit at the feet of the master and learn the trade. Applying this to software, this future leader could be following in the steps of an instruction of the mentor, modeling out what I talked about in my podcast about mentoring. There's another possibility for who will make up this group of followers. It could be that a leader is leading a group of leaders. This isn't really a foreign concept and maybe not as confusing as I just made it sound. The president is commander-in-chief over his generals, who are over other officers, who are over other officers, on down the row. Even in our industry, software, we have maybe an architect who leads the design of a system, a team lead who leads the implementation of that design, a senior developer who guides and shepherds the junior developers, and it's even possible within the group of junior devs that we might have an individual whom the others look to for leadership. Maybe any one of these individuals is strictly a follower at work, but they are leaders on an open source project or in the community at large. I believe that it all comes down to knowing when to lead. A great philosopher once told us, You should know your role and shut your mouth! And I think that's particularly appropriate here. A great leader will always be looking for opportunities to lead, but if someone else has got this, then they can and should allow themselves to be led. 
there's always an opportunity to learn something from another leader, even if some of those lessons are what not to do. Do not look down on following. It doesn't make you a weaker person. It makes you a useful one. I'm not talking about just following orders for the sake of it. I'm talking about willfully giving yourself in service to a task, a cause, or another individual. Often people want to confuse followers with something that happened in Jonestown or equate it with drinking the Kool-Aid, and they make follow a dirty word. Nothing could be further from the truth. Egos aside, by allowing themselves to be led, followers are the ones that get things done. If you're someone who always has to lead, take it as an experiment to find a capable leader and allow yourself to be led. Learn from that leader's style. Concern yourselves with accomplishing your specific goals and not directing the greater vision. There's great freedom in this. You may even find that you are more well-suited to this behavior. Even if you don't, it will certainly improve your leadership skills and make you a more well-rounded person. My pick of the week this week is Dash, which you can find at capelli.com slash dash. That's K-A-P-E-L-I dot com slash dash. According to them, Dash is an API documentation browser and code snippet manager. Dash stores snippets of code and instantly searches offline documentation sets for over 150 APIs. You can even generate your own doc sets or request doc sets to be included. Dash is a Mac and iOS application, but it has documentation for iOS, .NET Framework, Angular, Dart, Node.js, jQuery, Swift, Bootstrap, C, on and on and on and on. It integrates with package managers and IDEs, and it's an amazing product. I've never seen anyone else come even close to tackling this problem like this. You can use this app with all of its features for free, but Dash will nag you to purchase it from time to time, which, if you use it any number of times, you're going to find it valuable. Give it a look over at capelli.com dash. That's it for this week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I'm at Pete on Software on Twitter, and my blog is PeteOnSoftware.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.